Hello and welcome to All Change Please, our brand new podcast about leaving a big city behind and starting afresh somewhere new. We are Jane and Jean-Anne, journalists and friends who enjoyed our own love affairs with London before settling down with less racy, more reliable locations. Jane to Bexley and Kent and Jean-Anne to our hometown of Derry. Each episode we'll speak to fellow city quitters about why they swiped left on the metropolis, how they took the leap and what their new life's been like. Because with searches for homes outside the capital surging, we know it's something a lot of you are considering too. So Jane, I think we've known each other for the best part of a decade now. Yeah, must be. We met at work, didn't we? My son was only about two or three when we met at work and he's 10 now. So yeah, that seems like ages ago, doesn't it? It does. We sort of bonded straight away from day one. I think we had kind of quite a lot of shared loves, fashion, Mariah yep, Carey. Fashion. Yes, that celebrity gossip, you know, it's, yeah. Yeah, the more Z-less, the better. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> and um, we used to joke that um, I was your single white female because I'd often turn up in the office wearing the exact same clothes as you. Yeah, that's right. I was waiting to come home one night and find a stiletto through my husband's head. Um, but thankfully, it never went that far. <laughs> it was just the clothes you used to copy. So that was fine. Did you not get that horse's head I left on your pillow? <laughs> oh, that's who it's from. It should. I mean, you know, now it makes sense. <laughs> of course, although I'm a single white female, I, I did allow you mm. to, to have other friends. Um, yeah, just the one or two. Just the one, just the one mm. or two. Our very first uh, city quitter on the podcast is one of your friends, Rebecca Martin. Yeah, Bex and I go way, way back. So, and it's lovely to speak to her. You know, she's a content strategist, a journalist, she's a copywriter, and she used to work for the likes of like Marie Claire and Sky, chasing down celebs on the red carpet. And uh, the anecdotes she used to tell me were brilliant. And, and now she's given that all up for um, sort of freelance life by the seaside in Whitstable. Absolutely. And we're so delighted to have her on the podcast. So shall we get started? Yep. Let's go and chat to Bex. Hello, Bex. Hello. Hello. Bex, where, where are you joining us from? I'm in Whitstable. Um, I've shut the windows so you can't hear the seagulls. <laughs> are you right on the coast? About a five minute walk. Yeah. No sea view, but it's, yeah, it's beautiful. I, I love, one of the things actually I used to say is that I loved that I swapped the sound of sirens for seagulls I'll, I'll never get bored <laughs> well thank you for joining us today so you are very first city quitter um, and obviously our paths have crossed before because we yeah. were IPC media or Time Inc or whatever it was and it's you know a part, <laughs> um, where I was working on Look magazine and uh, and you came along and helped me out with your amazing skills um, and at one point, is it fair to say you live in the London dream? You know, you had quite a glamorous job, didn't you? Chasing down celebs on red carpets. And, yeah, uh, I did. Uh, and I, yeah, and I loved it at the time. Yeah, um, yeah so I, I remember, so my first job out of uni as a graduate was working at IPC and it was editing the staff magazine, the biggest magazine publisher in the UK. And I remember turning up on my first day and the old big tower building on Southern, um, God, what was it? Stamford Street had huge magazines in the windows, like 10 foot covers. And I remember phoning my parents from the outside saying, I can't believe I'm here. I don't know what I'm doing. Like, and I just, yeah, I was absolutely mesmer- mesmerized by just being in the building. I just thought it was absolutely amazing. 
Um, and I made it my mission to kind of get experience on as many as the magazines there. Um, so I did everything from like driving a Land Rover with a Land Rover magazine. I went to the Wasps training ground with Rugby World magazine. <laughs> I did everything. And part of that was, you know, kind of reporting for the staff magazine and writing about what all the, you know, the, all the other titles and all the staff were doing. But I also was just just absolutely in awe of the industry and I'd always wanted to be a journalist and really wanted to kind of make a name for myself in magazines and yeah the, my dream was always to work on Marie Claire. What do you think some of the highlights for you were your most glamorous moments? Oh I definitely think I mean I used to go to the opening of An Envelope like literally. <laughs> <laughs> what, was, what was the most um, opening of an envelope event that you went to can you think? Mine was when I met Howard from the Halifax ads. <laughs> I'm slightly jealous. That's amazing. <laughs> oh, I don't. I can't even think. I used to get sent some really random stuff though. Um, but yeah, the, the awards ceremonies I think were definitely highlights for me. I I used to pinch myself and absolutely love going to those. Um, yeah, Brit Awards, National Television Awards, Enemy Awards. I mean. Rock stars, hello, that was just amazing. Um, one of the really good ones, there was a BAFTA nominations party, um, and the PR company we were working with sent us to the hotel where um so all the kind of stars would get ready in the hotel rooms upstairs, um, and then the party would be in kind of the big ballroom downstairs, and just sat next to Made in Chelsea stars in a hotel room in a robe, just having my hair done and then I had a t- I was actually I was mid tan with Saint Tropez and obviously just standing there like not wearing very much. And Millie McIntosh came in and complained about her tan. <laughs> and they were like, you just step aside. We need to. <laughs> so I just had to go in the bathroom and hide <laughs> while they just like touched her up and sorted her out. Then I came back and they finished me off. Um <laughs> But yeah, we had our hair done, we borrowed clothes and then we got to go and kind of mingle. And the main person I remember that I spoke to that I absolutely loved was Olivia Coleman. Um, so just standing, having drinks with her. And when she left at the end of the night, um, I bumped into her near the toilets and she actually came up to me and touched me on the arm and said, it was lovely to meet you. Oh, God. Thanks, Olivia. Um, yeah, isn't it funny how Olivia Coleman, who's kind of, I mean, she's pretty much a list now, she was absolutely lovely, and then Millie McIntosh was not very happy about her tan. That's kind of how it often goes, isn't it? I know it is, and yeah, there's lots of funny stories. I think, you know, particularly when you're interviewing, that um, it's often the bigger stars that I always found were kind of more accommodating and more helpful and kind of definitely yeah I remember Talisa making me wait 45 minutes in an evening to see her and I went into her dressing room and I was sitting there tried to ask her questions she didn't even look at me um she was eating and answered like two questions I think I got about six minutes with her um and I'd like given up my evening to do it obviously you don't get paid for this kind of extra work um but yeah and I remember the PR said to me afterwards like so how did it go was it great no (laughs) no it wasn't and I I won't be running it (laughs) I didn't (laughs) didn't say anything 
Um, I had to wait four hours for Mariah Carey, but that was worth every minute. Oh, yes, Mariah, yeah. She I didn't do it. I got an hour with her, so, you oh, know, it was sorry. kind of... Also I, would, I would wait four years for Mariah. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I'm still waiting. <laughs> <laughs> so, Bex, um, it sounds very Devil Wears Prada, but when you when you started out, um, you were still commuting from your parents' home for the first year or so, was that right? Yeah, I did. I, um, yeah, so I went to uni in Southampton from Kent originally and yeah, moved back to my parents. I think, yeah, it was kind of a, I think it was like an hour and a half journey each way. Honestly, the amount of last trains home I missed (laughs) (laughs) and the amount of dodgy hotels I stayed in with my friends. Um, I used to just have clothes under my desk in my desk drawer and shoes and Everyone has to have a desk drawer like that when they're a certain yeah. age, London. Yeah, 22, 23. And it was, yeah, when I first started working there. And yeah, it was brilliant. I absolutely loved it. And then, yeah, after a year or so, uh, my best friend was living in a flat and a room came up with her. Um, and yeah, I was so excited. It was just best thing ever that I got to live and work in London. I just where, where was I was a proper Londoner. Um, that was in West Hampstead. Um, oh, wow. I didn't last long because I could not afford to live there. <laughs> everyone, everyone has that reaction when I said I moved to West Hampstead. <laughs> but yeah, it was interesting. It's interesting when we first started talking about this, and I was looking back on my time in London. I realised that I, I in a, it was about seven years I was in London in total, and I lived in five different flats. Mm. Um, I never had a home, and yeah. I think that's actually quite normal because yeah. you live with people who they end up changing jobs or moving in with a partner or going traveling because you're at that age but it is just like revolving doors constantly the amount of people I lived with there's very few areas in London I haven't lived in (laughs) (laughs) I think I think East London was probably about the only area I never lived in but I've done North West South it's ridiculous it's it's just it's part of the passage isn't it of living in London living in a city I think who was your, so. your weirdest housemate that you had, Bex? Did you have any random ones? I'm trying to just go through all the people I live with. No, I would say though the like some yeah, I mostly live with I always lived with friends. Um and I was I think I was very lucky in that respect. But just before I left, and I think this is testament to one of the reasons why I left, but um I lived with two strangers. Um and I look back now and I'm like, how did I ever live with two people I didn't know I mean that's I know that's quite normal at the time and you know many people live with flatmates they don't know but I didn't know these people at all and I remember there wasn't a lock on the bathroom door it was a really nice flat in Greenwich but I just I felt so uncomfortable there I never saw them I didn't know them it was just kind of coming and going and just sleeping there I just felt like I was in someone else's house so there wasn't a lock on the bathroom door no what did you do Sing. Just prayed that no one would come in. <laughs> that probably contributed to you not feeling like London was your home at that time, was it? It was it, it, where well, you just a place to go to sleep. It wasn't somewhere that you felt comfortable and could relax and chill out. So yeah, it wasn't a home at all. And I think you know, I it was ten. It took me ten minutes to get to the office, and I think that was bad a bad move I look back on it now you know in hindsight and being a bit older and you know I lived 10 minutes from the office I was I was incredibly lonely actually I only lived there two months 
and I think I wasn't I really wasn't enjoying the job I wasn't enjoying my home I don't think I was enjoying London at all by that point and I think it's only now I can say with confidence that I was lonely because I carried a lot of shame for a long time that I left and that I quit yeah I I think London is a very lonely city I remember I'd lived there about five years and that was the first time it ever felt a little bit like home but that was more to do with my tribe that I had found and I I, mm-hmm. I, I quickly found with London um you have to live in a you have to find your little villages you have to find your little areas yeah. pockets and and that's my favorite time was when I lived in Peckham because all of my my mates were living in that area we were all able to go to the pub together you know and have that kind of community I suppose yeah which, if you're living in one part of London and all your best mates are all out, you don't get that feeling, do you? It's it's very lonely. And I don't think enough people talk about how lonely city life can be, actually. Yeah, I don't. I think, yeah, that for me, I think, was Balham. There were people, you know, I had friends nearby and you could kind of pop over. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, when you don't have that, you know, they might be half an hour away on the tube, but that could be, you know, 50 miles across the country. It doesn't really matter. Um, yeah. I never thought I'd get I'd tire of it and you know Jane I remember us having conversations um so you're like teensy bit older than me and you saying that like you know when you know your 20s you were absolutely love it and it it was like clockwork I I turned 30 and I was like I what am I doing I don't I don't you know I don't know and then I know girls that are kind of um a lot younger than me that kind of joined and then were out every night and absolutely loving it and I just thought just you wait <laughs> you know like you'll you'll get to 30 um and they have so I think it's a bit of a journey but I think there's I don't know I just felt like there was quite a bit of a stigma attached and sometimes people were a little bit funny when I said that I didn't like it anymore mm. um because for a lot of people it's still their home and you know I wasn't in no way kind of meant to take away from that but I think yeah I think it's got it's not sustainable for a lot of people for a while no I don't think it is I think when you get to a certain age and you want to settle down it's the price it's the cost yeah it's the practicalities you know it's um I I would have hated I don't know how Jeannie did it to have little children in London you know and had to push them on the tube and the buses and all that would have done my head in you know I love that I could just get in a car with my son when he was little and drive him somewhere yeah. it just it just changes your needs change don't they and I think unless you're really wealthy <laughs> London is not a great place as you get yeah old. and it's certainly something that's come out of lockdown I've seen lots of people saying actually London has been quite lonely for them in lockdown especially when they've had to you know do it on their own really Yes, yeah. And equally, a lot of people that have said they're kind of reevaluating their commute to London as well and questioning, you know, the time they lose on a train and going into the big city and, you know, what, you know, what are they doing? And just I think it's given everyone a lot of perspective. Yeah. So you said you were in your dream job then at Marie Claire and it literally was your dream job. Yeah. Uh, uh, so what happened? What went wrong? Um a lot went wrong (laughs) so they um there was a bit of a restructure with the teams so I was at look as news editor and I was loving it but I I got to the point I was just bored of writing about celebrities and fashion and what they're wearing and I just felt like I wanted to do something more meaningful anyway and I kind of made peace with the fact that I might not make it to Marie Claire I'd also kind of seen 
you know they were kind of across from the office by that point and I just thought oh it's not as shiny as I thought um my editor I was working with at the time then moved to be editor of Marie Claire um and took me with her and so I thought oh I like obviously this is my dream job I'm totally yeah. going to give it a go did that for about nine months I think and then we were pulled into a room one day and told that I mean I now know that it was a cost-cutting thing but at the time I thought I'd been promoted and it was amazing um <laughs> we were being merged so Marie Claire Instal and Look um so I was going to be group digital news editor of all three sites but with the smaller team um and three writers had to write for all three websites and deliver the same amount of content and that was impossible um, for anyone. Um, it's taken me a long time to be able to say that. <laughs> um, so yes, yeah, so I was doing that, but it was, it just, there was no part of it that was enjoyable whatsoever. Our deadlines were every 30 minutes. I lasted there four months and I remember so clearly my last day. Um, I, I remember the last interview I did as well. That was with Kristen Stewart over the phone. And I never actually got to publish all of my stories that I did for her. But um, considering they said I may as well leave, I was like, well, you can't have them now anyway. So, um, but yeah, she she called me dude over the phone. It was amazing. And I had a really great chat with her. But it was a Friday night. I had to wait in the office till nine o'clock till, you know, it was her time to be able to talk to her. The questions had been sent over and pre-approved by her agent and her agent was on the call. I was reading out a list of questions and she was reading back a script. And I just thought, I'm not a journalist. No, no part of me regurgitating content like this. And I'm not a news journalist at this point in time. And I had done some great stuff there, like my Royal Baby coverage. I was so proud of. I had a genuine like BBC source. Um, I had the someone from the news department BBC phoned me one day and say that I had to strip my story back because some of the information I'd put in there was palace sensitive and the guy that I was talking to shouldn't have told me everything but I was like I've got this scoop was it Paul um, Burrell no, awesome. <laughs> and also I can't reveal my sources um, <laughs> no so I did some great stuff there but at that point in time I just thought I'm not a journalist um but yeah, my last day, I, I'd actually booked a doctor's appointment because I'd completely lost the feeling in my hands and I wasn't feeling well. Um, and I didn't really know what it was. Our editor had kind of swanned off to Fashion Week, hadn't told anyone in Stockholm and we were drowning as a team. Um, and then I was adamant that I had to leave at you know six o'clock to get to the doctor's um and I was on the on the phone to the Brits and um, the PR for the Brits talking about our tickets and I was like I have to go I have to go I have to go and then with that the deputy editor came over and said to me like I need you to stay and sort xyz out I, was, I just felt so overwhelmed and I phoned the doctors and said can I please come and they said no um you're going to miss your appointment anyway I kind of raced there I ended up finishing up at work and I when I got there I just completely I completely broke down um I was crying I couldn't stop shaking I think it was yeah a minor breakdown um the doctor it's quite interesting he told me he wrote me out a prescription for diazepam and also a prescription for a book called don't sweat the small stuff um and he asked me about my job and I told him about how I wrote my first story in my head while in the shower 
and I woke up with my fists clenched and I'd you know bleeding gums from grinding my teeth at night and I wrote my last story before I went to bed I checked the news and then because it wasn't it was impossible to deliver that amount of content in a day so it just had yeah. to keep up to my time but I felt so privileged that I've been given this huge job so yeah so I that very evening my mum and dad came and collected me because I actually phoned a friend and um I just couldn't stop shaking and yeah my mum confiscated my phone and I just completely switched off for a few days um but I resigned the next day I knew I didn't want to do it anymore but I just felt complete and utter shame and I was very private about the fact that I was signed off from anxiety and why I left um and I never even went back to that flat um yeah so it was kind of that was very much a very abrupt end um to what my had been your dream life basically what you dreamed of since you were young yeah exactly and so I, th- I think there was a a part of me that felt like I'd failed um or that I couldn't do it um and and I hate that now because I'm I feel like now I'm such an advocate for like mental health and I'm very open about you know things like my my you know my brother had cancer and I had counseling and I've been very open about that you know I hate the word journey but like how you know how I got through that and how I supported him but um with that I just yeah there was just such stigma around it and you know it that job also carried a lot of status I was very quickly kind of crossed off every list do you think though maybe as well if you'd had a more of a home in London it wouldn't have felt quite so hard on you because not only did you have that horrendous and I didn't see you hardly at all did I hardly ever saw each other because you were always so busy um, but then you didn't have any support, did you? And you went back home. You just had these ha- random housemates that you didn't even know. Yeah, exactly. And I didn't really see them. So I think, yeah, I mean, you know, my support system was back home and I was craving being, you know, near my family again. Um, but yeah, and I think, you know, I- I'm very aware that I made my life like that. You know, I didn't have a long term relationship. I put everything I put my heart and soul into you know every job I did and my my life was work but that did mean that I felt just I don't know so completely lost when I left because I felt like I'd just lost everything um even though it was a choice I just I don't know I it was it was just it was just who I was well Uh, when I do something similar the thing I really realized um and I left a very stressful job and was put on gardening leave for three months and I realised that my identity got lost because the first people most think ask you when they meet you isn't it what do you do who do you work for yes yeah you go uh no one uh, this is really difficult yeah. and you like who are who am I who am I I think it happens as well when you have children doesn't it Jeannie you kind of are in this netherland of I'm not working but I'm a mum it you know it's it's amazing how much our self-worth is wrapped up in our job with that yes it's weird doesn't it I think um I mean I definitely avoided even social situations with my friends because yeah everyone would ask me so how's work how's your job like what have you been doing and they they didn't know what to ask me you know it'd be like friends parents or you go to a social thing and they'd be people didn't know what to talk to me about and I didn't want to put them in that position and I didn't know what to say um so yeah it just I I would definitely have handled it differently looking back now or if I was 
a bit older and wiser when it had happened um but yeah I wonder um if you could tell us a bit about the sort of healing process then what was the next what was the early steps for you in that process um so I did have counseling um I only took the diazepam for like a day and realized that I couldn't string a sentence together it wasn't helpful um (laughs) but yeah I had counseling and I talked a lot about um yeah my identity and what I wanted and I I just was just so upset that I felt like I'd failed and I couldn't do that job and I know now that it wasn't me it was just a completely ridiculous restructure um but I also had this weird thing I laugh now but it actually does sound quite sad that um everyone in London has always called me Bex and at uni as well and back home I've always been Rebecca and I came back home to everyone just calling me Rebecca and me being Rebecca again and I felt like they were two different people and almost like my London life and Bex that was just a completely different person and I just felt so disconnected from my London life and myself and to the point that I didn't really believe in myself anymore um if I went to any meetings or you know I just felt like a bit of a fraud because I'm like I'm not that person anymore or I or I never was or so I, yeah I had to deal with that a little bit my family were amazing um I think they at first were just really excited that I was back home so I've seen me back in with my parents um my mum and dad got a restaurant and I heard them talking to some customers one day um, and they were kind of saying, you know, it's great. She's home. She's doing great. Like it's, you know, she's she's brilliant. Like she didn't want to do it anymore. She's fine. And they said, God, that must be so hard for her to leave that life and come to this tiny little Kentish village. And I was like, yes. <laughs> and I, yes, yeah. Um, and yeah, I remember sitting at the top of the stairs listening to that conversation, thinking, yeah, that's it. And it's okay that that's, that transition is hard. You, re- you sort of restarted your career again, which is fantastic. But was there an element of um, ego bruising at all? I honestly think that I avoided it as well. Avoided doing that line of work because I didn't think I could do it anymore. So I tried to do and I honestly at that time felt that if I had to go and get a job in a little seaside shop two days a week to support my writing that's what I do because it would make me happier than what I was doing in London but I just wouldn't tell anyone. <laughs> yeah I, my ego was definitely bruised and it took you know a little thank you from a client or oh I really like this or this is cool or can I book you again to gradually just make me realise um, that actually I didn't have to stick to just education stuff I could start to kind of um yeah do do what I used to do and I did and Jane we ended up working together Jane hired me for a job which was great Jane is the best um, we had the best <laughs> time didn't we in those days it was really fun it was really good fun and um, I got to see Bex grow again because she wasn't who she used to be um and it, and it was really lovely to see her blossoming and flourish and, you know, have that. But I've always wondered, did you revert to your teenage self going back home? Because whenever I'm back home for any amount of time, I somehow find my 13-year-old self coming out. I definitely become a moody teenager. Yeah. Um, I would say that's the only thing. I just I just get very irritable. <laughs> <laughs> but I also, I did actually move back in with my family. Um, but, so it's my mum and dad and my little sister um during lockdown so I lived with them for 10 weeks because I didn't actually want to be on my own and 
they had lots of food uh but, but after the 10 weeks were up I was definitely ready to come back to my flat <laughs> and, and, oh sorry Bexie you left London in 2014 how long was it then between living with your parents and getting your own place or, or how did that decision come about so I actually left my job um I left London I think it was something like mid-January in 2014 and then I moved into my own flat that Christmas um which which was yeah just amazing um and at that point I was dating someone um and just yeah over the moon to yeah just live on my own and I just never thought that was possible I pay now for a two-bed two-bathroom flat what I paid for for a room in London and obviously like I'm still renting but um it was just yeah and, and by the sea as well and tell <laughs> us a just... bit about tell us a bit about your new location I know that you can hear the sea you can't see it but tell us a bit about where where you've moved to and why yeah so I um I grew up in Kent um just outside of Canterbury my mum and dad have got a village restaurant kind of between Canterbury and Whitstable um my parents actually went to school in Herne Bay together when they were when they were young um and my grandparents grew up by the sea and had a guest house so I've come from this area anyway but I think there's definitely a, a real affinity among Londoners for Whitstable <laughs> and it's become very trendy and I was like I want to do that um and actually my older brother um and sister-in-law live here and you know had a little girl um and yeah I just I just really wanted to be by the sea and I dreamed of like oh god I wish they'd open like a Soho house here or some kind of co-working space um which yeah and I now belong to a lovely co-working space it's not Soho house but it's attached to the community centre and I've made such amazing friends there from all different creative um industries um so I've kind of yeah it's not always easy with you know work and keep ending up back in London um but I definitely never move back there um but yeah it's it's lovely there's a real community feel here I feel like it's definitely been perhaps easier to make friends here than it was kind of in my last few stages of London just because most of my friends had either either already moved out or kind of started to settle down so yeah when I came down to your birthday party which was a it was a little ice cream sort of um in the ice cream parlour it was my double 18 yeah double 18 and it was the cutest little venue and it was such a lovely mixture of people that a really different mixture than I think you if you'd had a party if you're still living in London you know it was old school friends um it was a few of us from London or that you've met in London and then there were loads of like new local people and what I love there as well is like you know some lady you met also brought her kids with her I mean grown-up kids but it was just like this really lovely feel that um and everyone's so you know it isn't a lie everyone is friendlier outside of London aren't they let's be (laughs) it's so so weird now that I can see someone I know in a supermarket or walking down the street or driving around the corner and I think I've not felt that way since I went to university and what's lovely about hearing about that party Bex is that your London life came along as well. Your London friends were there at that that phase of your life, although it was painful at times. It's never left you. You still can hold on yeah. to the good times and the friends that you made there. Yeah, I think I've you know I've tried very hard to. I've got some amazing friends that I've either lived with or worked with in very different jobs that have kind of stayed with me and supported me and. And that's been lovely. And I don't get me wrong, I love London. I love going up still. I did end up working there 
kind of full time and commuting again um, a couple of years ago. I also think, you know, something like, you know, what's happened with the pandemic and, you know, lockdown is that a lot of companies have had to kind of change their ways of working. And I definitely think working remotely is going to become a lot more accepted and a lot more prevalent now. And that's great for people that want to not necessarily, you know, work work or live in London I've had I've had several messages in the last few weeks from either old colleagues or old friends who've asked about moving to Whitstable um or where do I work in my office space and what is the commute like um yeah there's there's been about five different people it's really weird there's so many things I miss about London um sorry because I I miss meeting up with Jane in Westfield Stratford um (laughs) and I miss um (laughs) I miss that buzz you get. You do get a buzz when you, you know, you're going over the bridge and you're seeing the Gherkin and the the London Eye and all the rest. And I, yeah, I definitely miss it. What do you miss about it, Bex? Um, I think the definitely Uber. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely Uber. There's like no taxis or anything around here. Um, and takeaway options. Um, it's it is the people. I think. Um, although like I love the people around here, I think there's not. It's that kind of after work drinks thing. Yeah. Um, but I think that comes with you know you could say that if you're a, a mum that's on mat leave or you know like I think that and it's not like I was going out loads after work like as soon as I but turned thirty. Not, but you had the option to which I yeah always... it's the option it's the yeah. that kind of you know particularly in the summer and everyone's standing outside the pubs and it's like. Yeah, that kind of atmosphere, that buzz, yeah. I absolutely love. Um, so, yeah, I do miss that. So what advice would you have to anyone who's considering making the move, you know, from a big city to somewhere a bit quieter? Because it's quite a transition, isn't it? I think just if you want to do it, just do it. Don't care what other people think. I wish I hadn't felt so, that had to be so secretive or that it was, you know, that was so, I hadn't, I hadn't felt so ashamed of it. But everyone's on a different timeline a different path and I think we just shouldn't compare ourselves to others and I also think I'm a big believer in taking risks I felt that if it didn't work I'd figure it out you know and I know not everyone has that luxury like if you have children or you know I think I obviously knew that I could potentially go back to my parents but I was just thought if I if I try this it doesn't work I would get a job in Sainsbury's and just start again I yeah I'm a big believer in taking risks and just jump because otherwise you just always wonder like what if and it's it's not worth just staying put and being unhappy just because you think it's the right thing to do or you feel you know that you're lucky and other people would love to do that job or be in your position um and I think said all that Bex we thought we'd uh leave you with a proposition (laughs) here's your uh here's your dream job um here are the keys to your penthouse in Mayfair Oh. would you go back can I just have it as a second home <laughs> <laughs> just stay there at weekends <laughs> um, absolutely have it yeah because I think yeah. I think the joy of where you are is that you've got the best of both worlds yeah I'm, I, I'm very aware I'm very lucky and um you know had drinks on the beach the other day with my colleagues from my co-working space but then I'm also working for a big company in London but doing that remotely like I'm, I'm very yeah I definitely have to watch myself and how much I work and the levels that I work at because I, I think I will always slip into those insane 
habits because it was ingrained in me for so long to work at that pace mm-hmm. but um I also refused to complain because yeah I I did it I got what I wanted and I moved and I got back to where I needed to be and I do feel like yeah I'm myself again thank you so much for talking to us that's it thank you so much for having me it's wonderful to hear your story and it's wonderful that it's ended well not ended I know it's weird looking back actually I think I, I saw a meme it was actually this morning and I shared it with a few friends about it's um so something like look at look at you there doing that thing you thought you couldn't do and I was like yeah like I never thought I could do this and I just thought that was so wonderful um and it, yeah it goes for anyone you've got to try it thanks so much to Bex and thank you too for joining us on All Change Please we hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have we've got a brilliant season lined up for you and we'll be back in a fortnight's time with a really exciting guest in the meantime please review subscribe and share this podcast if you've enjoyed it it really helps us out And we'd love to hear from you if you've got a city quitting dilemma you'd like us to discuss on the show. You'll find us on Twitter at allchangepod or email at us allchangepodcast at gmail.com. All Change Please is produced and edited by Jean-Anne Craig and Jane Sherrington-Cook.